0: This is Policy Guns and Money, the Aspi Podcast. Every year, Aspi brings together analysts, strategic thinkers, and policymakers from all over the world for our annual conference in Canberra. This year's theme was "War in 2025," a discussion of the drivers which could lead to conflict in the next decade. The next few episodes of this podcast will feature some of the speakers and ideas discussed at the conference. In this episode, ASPE Executive Director Peter Jennings and Michael Shoebridge, Director of ASPE's Defence and Strategy Program, discuss the key messages they took from war in 2025.
1: Well, Michael, it's great to be here chatting with you. Uh, Another ASPE conference survived. Uh, I I think this one of the seven or eight that I've been at, uh, war in 2025, um, seemed to Sustain interest right to the very last session and what was striking about it was that we had three very considered speeches from the minister for defense and from senior adf officers what was your take on the things that they chose to share with the audience at this conference well i thought one of the most unusual things for three Uh,
2: public leaders, government and official, uh, they did something unusual. They gave speeches that went beyond recitals of current policy and decisions already made.
1: What highlights did you have?
2: So, well, Minister Reynolds, this was her first domestic speech. She'd been off to Shangri-La and given a pretty careful speech there. But uh, talking at the conference, uh, she talked about uh, her agenda, how does defence best uh, position itself with new technologies? And she mentioned specifically artificial intelligence and automation. Uh, how can defence be a part of national power in times lesser than conflict, which really set the scene for Angus Campbell's speech later in the conference around political warfare? Mm. And she talked about the need for further enterprise reform in defense be interesting to see what agenda comes out of that as well as managing the US alliance, uh, make it more focused and responsive to Indo-Pacific challenges, which I think is a signal to move away from the global deployments and focus on the nearer region. And lastly, she talked about assisting and building self-reliance, both for Australia and in the region. And David Johnston, the vice chief, uh, built on on that idea, particularly around Australia.
1: Just on the minister's speech, Michael, uh, she did kind of go out of her way to say to the audience, expect more announcements relating to these issues uh, which again I, I guess is something that you might expect a minister to say but really only if there is an intention to sort of push on the, the policy frontiers of each of those questions that were raised by her and I, my, my sense was that the consensus of uh, people I spoke to at the conference was uh, watch this space there's there's more to come.
2: Yes I, I think um on all those issues she raised, but certainly uh, she talked about needing to test and adjust policies, plans and investments. So I get the feeling she's going to be quite an, an activist, yes. Minister.
1: And then that evening we had, I, I think, possibly the best speech I've heard from uh, Chief of Defence Force in in many a long year when uh, General Angus Campbell spoke. I didn't know
2: what topic he was going to talk to us about. I was expecting a a, a pretty interesting speech, but what we got was... Very different to anything that, that I thought he might talk about. Uh, he gave us an intellectual framework with a whole lot of historical evidence and references around how states have and are engaging in political warfare, as he called it, or the grey zone, as he, he sort of dismissingly <laughs> called it. And he really set out a framework around the need Uh, for states like Australia to do so because powerful authoritarian states are using political warfare below the threshold of traditional conflict and war, and they're achieving their strategic interests at our expense. But the interesting thing is I just said all that. Uh, He spoke to us uh, quite a lengthy speech, and he named no names, but if he produced a script for a play... Well, the villains in the play would be the authoritarian states of President Xi and Vladimir Putin.
1: Yes, I think I think that's uh, right, and um, I, I certainly commend to listeners to uh, to go online uh, to um, our ASPE sites and and look for uh, General Campbell's speech, um, if if only to hear an Australian four star general quote Trotsky, uh, "You may not be looking for war, but war is looking for you." Uh, and then I thought that, you know, he, he gave a very adroit summary of um, essentially how we find the world really dividing into authoritarian and democratic camps of one degree or another. And, mm. and clearly, General Campbell was careful about the language he was using. But if you read into that, you, you can see how this could translate into, you know, a, a much more risky world in a fairly short order.
2: Yes, I think he was telling us that is the nature of the world now with these empowered assertive authoritarian states uh, he mentioned their conception of war is it's a permanent state of being it's not a a, a sort of escalation towards war and a bright shiny line between peace and war as yeah. we as we think in the liberal democratic west yeah. so he was really signaling uh, that if if we and the Australian public don't understand that others are engaged in political warfare against our interests, then that's something we need to comprehend and respond to.
1: And then the third speech in the uh, in the troika, if I can use the phrase, uh, Michael was the Vice Chief of the Defence Force, Ad- Admiral David Johnson, who spoke on day two of the conference. Um, highlights from his speech.
2: Well, I suppose the, the trick for a, a vice chief speaking after a chief of defence force and uh, a new minister for defence is to have something useful to add and, and not just repeat what uh, his leaders have said. But uh, he did that. He, he delivered on that. Uh, he really continued uh, Angus Campbell's theme, which, remember, Minister Reynolds referred to when she talked about defence having to contribute to national power in circumstances lesser than conflict. Mm. Uh, He talked about the Blurred boundaries between peace and war, and uh, that other state actors observe. And he said, maybe Australia needs to establish authorities, policies, and rules to, as he put it, ensure we haven't lost before we've begun. Yes, which is a pretty striking way of, of describing it.
1: Yeah, I thought um, I, I thought we were clearly getting a coordinated message. It seems to me that the principals had thought hard about what they wanted to say, and that indeed part of the overall weight of that was to to say we, as a country, probably need to start thinking about how our policy settings have to change to accommodate you know a very swift, uh, changing strategic order. What what was your reaction, Michael, at the end of it? I mean, I must say, I know that um, some people were perhaps even slightly alarmed at, at the selection of the title war in 2025. Um, I mean, it was deliberately designed to provoke thinking. But as you, having been a a listener through the the conference, as you came to the end of it, did you conclude that that was an unlikely um, situation?
2: Well, unfortunately, um, the conclusion I reached after listening to all the international and Australian speakers was it's absolutely credible that there could be major military conflict um, in our region Uh, in the period between now and 2025. So there was a sense of urgency around that uh, that threaded its way through the conference. But there also weren't really any critics of that concept. It seemed a pretty broadly shared uh, understanding and you can take that two ways. it can be disturbing or it can be reassuring that at least minds are focused on that as a possibility and, and doing um, what can be done to uh, to limit those prospects.
1: It was quite a different conversation from previous um, ASPE conferences, in fact, where we spent a lot of time focusing in on key government decisions about equipment, uh, which the, the large uh, muscle movements of which have really been um, taken in the last few years. And of course, all of those equipment choices uh, you know, really impact on a strategic world of uh, the late 2030s, early 2040s, uh, rather than the six-year time frame that we were mm. looking at in this yep. conference. So it felt like it was a very different type of conversation overall, I thought.
2: Well, I thought it was good that it, it was a bit more focused on practical things rather than dreaming about that very long-term future force. Uh, Even the way people discussed new technologies like artificial intelligence or Andrew Davies talking about hypersonic missiles were in practical applied ways. These are capabilities others have or will be employing operationally in that time frame, and they add to the prospects of conflict unless uh, they're dealt with um, sensibly.
1: Yes, likewise on space um, policy and and Mm. cyber, which were also a feature of of, uh, the discussion. uh, One feels that um, this town is very quickly going to move into sort of new policy thinking around emerging technology is being a, an agenda that we probably haven't had our mind around as mm. much as we need to mm. uh, and we're going to have to quickly get our act into into order.
2: I thought there was also a theme of uh, this can't be done in portfolio stovepipes, a little bit of a theme around, uh, yes, uh, defence actors and thinkers can see these things, but so can other parts of government. And there was a, a real need, particularly around the political warfare theme, mm. for this to be a whole-of-government uh, piece of work, probably bringing in uh, parts of the corporate world and even the academic sector.
1: Yeah, I think that's right, Michael. A number of people observed to me over the few days that um, it's probably time for the government to think again about the need for a national security advisor, which was a position that really for quite unworthy uh, bureaucratic reasons disappeared in, in the early months of um, Tony Abbott's uh, time as Prime Minister. Uh, and and additional additional to a national security advisor the the idea of a national security policy statement as being a sort of a bigger expression of government priority than you can get either from a foreign affairs white paper or from a defense white paper Mm. now that neither of those things have have really been part of the current government's election platform as they went into the campaign but it seems to me, given the the issues that we're talking about, and and that the minister um, also highlighted, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see these things sort of resurface as uh, policy discussions uh, in in Australia over the next. Uh, uh, a few months.
2: Mm. And it wouldn't have to be as deep a thing as a defense white paper and you know, a national security strategy could be a policy document that was helpful to the corporate world, to the academic world, as well as to all the different parts of government. Uh, it'd have to have enough Substance to be on to be beyond just words, but it wouldn't need to be you know, the multi-billion-dollar resource um, arm wrestle that is uh, is a defence wide paper.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think getting conceptual lines clear is the first thing that has to happen. Um, although in time, I suspect, you know, the level of investment that uh, Australia will need to pursue on things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, for example, will be significantly greater than uh, we're currently deploying. But we don't know what we don't know, to uh, to coin a phrase, and and um, uh, a broad policy statement which sets some directions would be a good thing. There was a, a sort of a slightly um, sharpened... Uh, Difference right at the end of the conference between Andrew Davies and myself on the need for a defence white paper, and um, I don't want to put words into uh, Andrew's mouth, but he Go was, on. I, oh, well, if you if you really want me to, he was, um, I, I think, as the devil's advocate, kind of saying, look, I just don't see a reason why defence should now do this if it can't in any way improve on the performance of previous white papers. I made the observation that. I've never met a defence white paper that I didn't really like and that it was probably time enough to, for the, for a government to be thinking about getting one underway on the basis of um, if the minister were to announce it towards the end of this year, you'll need all of 2020 to, to cool. produce it. Um, and if a white paper comes out in 2021, well, that's five years since the 2016 mm-hmm. defence white paper. So the, these things do come around with irregularity.
2: Well, you think about some of the things that popped out of the conference, um, a combination of the Pacific step-up and that idea that that's just begun, there are more decisions and therefore more resources will be needed for that, uh, the need for a similar lift in Australian engagement with Southeast Asia um new technologies being powerful for modern militaries but under in by militaries, including by the Australian Defence Force, and that need for whole-of-government or much-of-nation approaches to operating in the grey zone in light of political warfare, as Angus Campbell sketched out, uh, that leads to an overall need for new debate um, about how... Um, how the national security community and broader parts of government and the corporate world might work together. A national security strategy could do that. But there also probably needs to be a debate about the level of investment into defence and national security because that new agenda is not currently funded.
1: Yes, no one's really talking about 2% of gross national product as being the ceiling anymore in terms of defence expenditure, as scary is that, as that thought might be. Well, Michael, it's uh, it's it's interesting to see how quickly a new uh, agenda has emerged for defence and national security. And I think the good news is for a place like Aspie that means uh, we're not going to have any trouble deciding what the topic of our conference should be sure. in 2020. That's something for us to, uh, to both look forward to. But in the meantime, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks for your time. Great. Thanks, Bill.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more from the War in 2025 conference.